this thing again? When will it end? Hey, all you festive listeners, you're listening to a bonus extra episode of the Nasty Pasty Podcast. And yes, it's that time of year, where festive cheer and bubbly beer are the order of the day, while Santa slashes and Christmas terrors keep the visitors away. So today, we're covering one of the extra films on our schedule in celebration of a brand new release from 88 Films on Blu-ray, which is the first time in the UK, I believe. I discarded my old muddy DVD print and I got this new one, which looks really spectacular and it really emphasises what a great film it is. We're covering the 1983 horror picture The House on Sorority Row, which is a good little stalk and slash from the golden age of the slasher genre. So without further ado, let's just get straight into it. In the 60s, a young woman called Dorothy Slater goes into labour, with her doctor, Nelson Beck, arriving at her house to help her out. Performing an emergency caesarean to save the baby, Mrs Slater asks to see her child and receives no response from Dr Beck. Many years later, Slater is now an understandably crabby old woman, who walks with a distinctive walking cane and is she's the owner of a sorority house rented to a group of seven female students. Katie, Vicky, Diane, Jeannie, Morgan, Liz and Stevie, who are throwing a final party after they've graduated. Unhappy with this plan, Mrs Slater bursts into Vicky's room and chastises her, seeing that she is having sex with her boyfriend later that night. Vicky swears revenge and the next day plays a prank on her with a gun, forcing her to go into the pool. It goes awry, however, when Slater is accidentally shot by the gun, leaving the sorority sisters panicked. Deciding to forge ahead with the party anyway, one of the guests is mysteriously stabbed in the throat by Mrs Slater's cane. Stevie then panics that if the pool lights are switched on, the guests will see the dead body, so she descends to the basement to turn them off, only to be cornered and stabbed to death by the killer. Eventually, a guest goes into the pool and the lights are eventually switched on, revealing the corpse to be missing. Musing as to whether she's still alive, Morgan is suddenly shocked when her dead body falls from the attic. 
Vicky and Liz agree to hide the body in the nearby cemetery, upsetting Katie. Morgan goes to her room to recover from the shock, and she's soon impaled by the killer's cane. After Katie discovers the attic filled with children's toys and greetings cards for someone called Eric, Diane waits for the girls in a van and is stabbed by the killer through the sunroof. Narrowly avoiding attention from campus security, Liz and Vicky continue on to the cemetery while Jeannie encounters the killer who attacks her. Managing to escape, Jeannie alerts Katie at the house who goes to get help, and she grabs a kitchen knife to protect herself. The killer, however, enters the house and chases her to the bathroom, where he stabs her in the neck with the knife. With her date Peter, Katie finds a medical tag dropped by the killer, which has Dr Beck's number on it, and she calls him. At the cemetery, Vicky and Liz are attempting to bury the body when Liz has her throat slashed in the van. Vicky soon discovers this and is stabbed in the back before being hammered in the eye with the cane. Dr Beck arrives and surmises that the killer may have followed the girls to the cemetery, and upon arrival they discover that the dead body is in fact Mrs Slater, causing Beck to utter, he's alive. It's revealed that Mrs Slater gave birth to a son with severe abnormalities, and Beck assumed that he wouldn't have survived due to the fertility drugs that he was prescribing to Mrs Slater. Using Katie as bait, Beck drugs her and waits for the killer to emerge, and shoots him when he does, but soon discovers that he's accidentally shot Peter. Eric, the real killer, suddenly kills Dr Beck and Katie wakes up just in time to notice this. Fleeing to the bathroom and noticing Jeannie's severed head inside, she soon devises a plan to lure Eric using a music box from the attic. By this point, however, Eric has donned a clown outfit and is actually right next to Katie. A struggle ensues and Katie manages to stab Eric multiple times with a sharp toy, causing him to fall out of the attic door. Katie breathes a sigh of relief, but Eric's eyes open as the film ends. She's alive. We put her back in the pool and she was still alive. You and Stevie are the ones to blame for that. You said she was dead, not me. Who's to blame for shooting her? How was I supposed to know there was another bullet in the gun? It doesn't matter now. Where is Stevie? I looked all over for her. She must have left before she could turn off. It's a good thing she didn't. We would have never known Mrs. Slater is still alive. How do we know she is alive? What, you think she floated out of that pool? Or maybe she got sucked down the drain? Do you believe this? Look what we're talking about. Jeannie, stop. Morgan may be right. Mrs. Slater could have collapsed somewhere just after getting out of the pool. We have got to find her before somebody else does. I cannot believe you, Vicky. You'd sacrifice anything to save yourself. Even Mrs. Slater's life. And what about the rest of you? I am calling the police. I cannot live with this anymore. Listen to me. If she were alive, wouldn't the police be here by now? He's right. She would have called hours ago. If she can't. What if she's lying on the ground bleeding to death? If she were alive, she would have reached a telephone. Face it, Katie. Mrs. Slater is dead. She won't call. But what do we do? Well, Mrs. Slater couldn't have gotten far. Let's check around the outside of the house. Morgan, go and pack Slater's clothes so it looks like she's left. We can find her, but we're going to have to hurry. In the same vein as Sorority House Massacre and Black Christmas... The House on Sorority Row focuses on the exploits of female students at a sorority house who become the prey of a mysterious killer. 
1983 picture, so it came out towards the latter end of the slasher phenomenon. Quite late to the party, really, compared to Friday the 13th, which was released in 1980. Nevertheless, the film is regarded as a classic of its type, despite recycling the plot of an accidental death coming back to haunt a group of people. Rosman wrote the script himself, the first time he'd done so, and he based it on his own experiences of when he went to college. He also wanted the film to have a certain style, so he took elements from the films of Mario Bava, and he also took some inspiration from the 1955 film Diabolique. So filming commenced in summer of 1981, filmed mostly in Baltimore, Maryland. The University of Maryland was used for the shots of the campus in the film, while the sorority house, Pi Theta, was actually Elton Head Mansion in Pikesville. Now, apart from these locations, the scenes in the sorority house bathroom were filmed at the Baltimore School of Dentistry, as the mansion didn't have a suitable-looking communal bathroom. There's varying stories about how much the budget was, although it's usually accepted that the budget started at a mere $125,000, but went over budget during the pre-production. Director Mark Rosman's cousin helped out after the film exceeded the budget, and the final figure ended up somewhere between $300,000 and $450,000 by the end of the shoot in 1982, but no one can confirm this exactly. The shoot was relatively easy with only a few minor adjustments to make. Lois Kelso Hunt, who played Mrs Slater, she had to be dubbed completely afterwards as Rosman didn't think her natural voice was scary enough, though he did find her appearance perfect for the role. The crane-type shots were achieved with a cherry-picker. Eileen Davidson, who played the bitchy Vicky, she had no shorts to wear for the prank scene, so she had to borrow some from her fellow actress Harley Jane Kozak, who played Diane. During that scene too, Lois Kelso Hunt, she performed her own stunt of falling backwards into the pool. Harley Jane Kozak reportedly was killed off earlier in the film than originally intended, because the producers were worried that she looked too similar to the main protagonist, Kate McNeil. The band that featured during the party scene were a local band from the Washington DC area, named Four Out of Five Doctors. And during the shoot, Rosman actually made use of the sorority house and lived in it for the duration, while on another day, the set was briefly visited by the infamous Baltimore trash director, John Waters. After filming completed, the film had to be altered in post-production. The distributor changed the opening black-and-white sequence to be tinted blue, and demanded more gory death sequences, so Rosman filmed some additional gore sequences in the backyard of his parents' house, and he added it to the film, leading to a rather noticeable continuity issue with Vicky's death. She's stabbed in the back and hammered in the eye with the walking cane, but when Katie finds her corpse in the grave, her eye is somehow intact. The distributor also disliked the two endings that were shot, both of which had a more downbeat final tone. In one of them, the police arrive the next day to find the dead bodies of the girls floating in the pool. One of them, who's dressed in a clown outfit, turns out to be Katie and the other one has Katie recuperating in hospital, being pushed down a corridor by an orderly, and when the camera pans up, it reveals it to be Eric. In order to placate the studio, Rosman simply ended the film after Eric opens his eyes, to leave the ending more open to interpretation. After these changes were made, the film was approved for release, despite Rosman disliking the poster artwork for the film, which depicted a scantily clad woman with the tagline, Nothing can prepare you for what happens when she fights back. It does make the film out to be something of a rape and revenge type film, when actually it's a slasher film through and through. Rosman himself wanted a poster similar to Deliverance, with a hand reaching out of the swimming pool in reference to Mrs Slater.
The film received a theatrical exhibition in 1983, and it went on to gross a respectable $600,000 in its opening weekend, and roughly $10 million in total. It has since become a bit of a cult classic, being specially selected by Tarantino for the first Tarantino Film Fest in Oxton, Texas in 1996. Today, Mark Rosman still has the music box and the distinctive walking cane in his possession. It has been retitled for different territories, however, such as House of Evil in the UK, and it was known as Seven Trapped Women in Spain. Kate McNeil, who played the final girl Katie, she went on to make countless appearances in various TV shows, like NCIS, Grey's Anatomy, Without a Trace, Bones, Veronica Mars, as well as a few minor appearances in some films like 1988's Monkey Shines and 2000's Space Cowboys. Eileen Davidson, who played Vicky, has a very long run on the American show Days of Our Lives, which she's still currently on, and has been since 1993. But she's also in The Young and the Restless, which she's been on for even longer, since 1984. Now, Harley Jane Kozak, who played Diane, was just a waitress when she was approached for this role. She'd later go on to relatively good success, starring alongside Jeff Daniels in the 1990 film Arachnophobia. She was also in 1989's When Harry Met Sally, and she even made a small appearance in the recent film I Spit on Your Grave Part 3, Vengeance is Mine, which is a sequel to the remake of Miyazaki's video Nasty Shocker. Michael Kuhn, who played the incredibly unfortunate Peter, never acted again after this film, but instead he went on to producing, and he has several recognisable titles under his belt, such as Being John Malkovich, uh, the autobiographical film Kinsey, and the British comedies Alien Autopsy and Severance, which starred Danny Dyer. After his debut picture, House on Sorority Row, Mark Rosman got the job to direct the pseudo-zombie movie 1984's Mutant, which was originally released as Night Shadows. However, the studio were unhappy with the way he was shooting the film, and he was subsequently fired and replaced by John Bud Cardos. After a string of fairly uninspired TV movies, Rosman got a major breakthrough working for Disney on several kid shows, like Lizzie McGuire and The Wonderful World of Disney. After these, Rosman's main output was family-friendly material, like A Cinderella Story, uh, The Perfect Man, both of which starred Hilary Duff, and also the TV movie William and Kate. The House on Sorority Row, though, had a whopping six producers, which included Rosman, but the only one who did anything more than just this film was Robert Mayer, and he'd worked on the Grindhouse Revenge movie Violated in 1984, and the 1988 version of Hairspray. The hauntingly memorable score was done by Richard Band, who'd previously worked on the Section 3 nasty film Parasite with Demi Moore, before going on to score Mutant, Ghoulies, Reanimator and its sequel, uh, From Beyond, the original Troll film, as well as the majority of the Puppet Master films. Editor Jean-Marc Vasseur was better known as the writer and an actor in multiple Emmanuel films that were made for TV, while the assistant editor, Paul Trejo, he'd worked on the bleak slasher film Eyes of a Stranger and went on to much wider success, working on Crocodile Dundee 2, uh, multiple episodes of David Lynch's Twin Peaks, Coneheads, and also Scarface with Al Pacino. And while it was one of his first films, cinematographer Tim Surstet went on to have major successes in cinematography, working on many pictures like Android, Teen Wolf, Critters, Mannequin, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, 
The Wedding Singer, Fantasia 2000, and he even worked on modern comedies like Idiocracy, Sex Tape, and Get Hard. The special effects were done by Dolores Gamba, in her only capacity in special makeup, but her partner in this, Rob E. Holland, showcased some of his work in other slasher pictures of the era, namely Madman, Mother's Day, and also Tenement by Roberta Findlay. The film did rather well, and it reached VHS in the UK in 1986, way after the nasties had left their stain on the legal system. The print used by Apex Video was uncut, although the BBFC trimmed it before that they passed the film at Certificate 18. It lost some three seconds from the sequence of Vicky's murder, namely the impact of the cane in her back and the cracking eye blast with the cane's head. It would remain this way until the cuts were restored upon the 2002 Hollywood DVD reissue. 88 Films, though, released a Blu-ray of the film in 2017, literally just around a month ago. Now go on and pick this one up, because you certainly won't regret it. And that's the end of our special episode for now, guys. But do keep an eye out for our other bonuses coming over to you in the next few weeks in our 12 Days of Christmas Horror. So, until then, see you next time, and stay safe, everybody. Goodbye! (laughs) 